This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. And now, from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is the Business of Healthcare. Here is your host, Mitch Goldman. Welcome to the Business of Healthcare. I'm your host for this week, Mitch Goldman, Wharton Healthcare Management alumnus and a retired partner in the healthcare practice group of Dwayne Morris. I'm currently the CEO of Mid-Atlantic Dental Partners, a regional dental management company. The Business of Healthcare is live every Tuesday at noon Eastern right here on Sirius XM 111. If you have a question or comment during today's show, please call us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Our phone lines are open. Let's talk a little bit about today's show. Uh, Very interesting topic from the vantage point of healthcare delivery and change. We're going to focus on a new collaborative effort between some of the nation's leading health systems, including our own Penn Medicine and Apple, to give consumers more control of their healthcare data. While many leading health policy players and a number of people I talk to every time I raise this issue about an interesting position that Penn Medicine is in to do a deal with Apple, I get feedback saying, oh, no, you don't mean Apple. You mean that Berkshire Hathaway, J.P. Morgan deal. And I went, no, this is about Apple and Penn Medicine. Didn't you see it? And, of course, I'm getting this kind of look on everybody's face. They're assuming that I'm wrong. And the buzz around J.P. Morgan and and Berkshire Hathaway was so much more than this Apple deal. And we'll talk about why that is. But Apple is now taking a, a, taking a step out with their iPhone and have entered into an agreement, which we'll talk about later, with 13, and I think they're now up to 40, of the nation's leading health systems to enable consumers to access their healthcare data on their iPhones. We're going to talk with our guests about what this means for the patient, the provider, and the healthcare system as a whole. We have two guests who were crucial to Penn Medicine's participation in this program. Uh, that's Michael Restucia, who's the Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer of Penn Medicine. Michael, thanks for being here. It's great to be here, Mitch. Well, and, and I think we'll be able to talk a little bit more detail about what Penn is doing with this, with this relationship and where we're going to be going with it, correct? Uh, we're looking forward to discussing that. Good. Great. Lots, lots to share today. <laughs> I'm sure there is. Also in the studio is Dr. Bill Hansen, the Chief Medical Information Officer with Penn Med- Medicine. And you need to know one thing. Not only is he the Chief Medical Information Officer, okay, but he is also an anesthesiologist, an internist, and an intensivist. And I'll get to talk about a little bit of why, why all those pieces play together. But, Dr. Hansen, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Mitch. It's nice to be talking with one of our fellow schools here at the university. Yeah, we're, we're excited about this. From some outside perspective, and the way I fi- found out about this whole relationship was through a, a, an article written by our third guest, who's on the phone with us, Anish Chopra. He was the first ever chief technology officer for the U.S. government and was appointed, I'm pretty certain, by President Obama. He's now the president of Care Journey, a data and insight platform for for providers of value-based health care. Anish, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. I, I have to tell you, it's so it was really interesting to for me to I've been trying to figure out 
how I learned about this and why your particular article showed up. I know I get the Commonwealth Fund material all the time and do read it regularly, but is it my imagination or has this kind of been low played by, by Apple and its partners? This is more of a do first, uh, celebrate later. So I actually think it's got the right amount of messaging is that we're getting started on a new method of engaging with patients. And so I'm kind of pleased with the way they've communicated this so far. Uh, they've been getting the hard work done. And, and I guess you'll hear momentarily from, uh, from the Penn team about what that would mean. But it's, it's, uh, it's, not, it's, not, it's not an overhyped, let's, we've solved health care, come back later. It's piece by piece is working and we're making progress. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think to your point, I, I, I know that I read somewhere that Amazon decided to kind of back out of the whole pharmaceutical issue with the comment, Healthcare's complicated. <laughs> Somebody else, very famous, I think, said that at some point in the last year. <laughs> Healthcare's complicated. But, Dr. Hansen, you want to just talk about this this whole issue? Why it's why, why is it that it no, few people seem to know about? I wouldn't say nobody, but few people seem to know about. It. Well, I think Anish had it right. The 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 tenor of our initial conversations with our partners at Apple was that uh, we wanted to deliver first and, and not celebrate uh, because so many of uh, our predecessors have celebrated first and then not been able to deliver. And uh, we've been, I think, very uh, gratified by the response from uh, the, uh, uh, the users of this and uh, I think individually when people have seen the power of uh, what this could actually show them. Yeah, I, look, I, I think what I'd like to do today, really, for our listeners out there, is really give them a sense of several things. Why, why did Penn do this? Why, you, you pick Apple. I'm not saying Apple's a bad company, but one company, okay? You have all sorts of other cell phone manufacturers. Will they participate? What was Penn thinking about the choice of the partner? What was Penn thinking about improving health care? Obviously, there was a grand design. So my assumption is, 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 Bill, give me just a general layout, then we'll get to Michael, and we'll try and, try and put some pieces together. As you can imagine, a place like Penn has had the opportunity to have conversations with a number of big organizations, and, and uh, the range and breadth of organizations that have had an interest in health care is astonishing, from companies that... Uh, that deal with uh, national defense, from uh, vendor companies uh, in the uh, cell phone space, from um, uh, information technology companies, all have an interest in healthcare. But um, I think what we look for in partners, large and small, is a willingness to work collaboratively rather than to try to take something away from uh, healthcare without giving something back. And I think Apple has been very... um, uh, generous as a partner, and we felt like we have a collaborative rather than a one-dimensional relationship. Yeah, and and in, in collaboration, what we're really simply talking about, we can get into the more complex pieces of it, but conceptually, patient would be able to download their medical information on their iPhone. Is that the kind of feel that's correct, Bill, or, or no? Yes, I think that's, uh, yeah, in order for the audience to understand what we're talking about here, basically using your Apple uh, device, you're able to uh, enter uh, uh, into one of their health-oriented uh, apps, one of the Apple's health-oriented apps, and wed that up to your uh, actual medical record so that you can see information about the medications that you take, the allergies that you have, the medical conditions you've had, uh, encounters you've had. And I have to say, when I first... Um, explored this, uh, I was able to see information from encounters 10 to 15 years ago that had been 
stored in my medical record, but not readily accessible to that point. So, uh, so because it was paper or because it was on a computer, I'm, I'm just why wasn't it accessible? That's an interesting point. Well, I think uh, paper, ab- absolutely. I mean, I think there were things that were on paper. Those things were not suddenly available in the in the app. It was information that uh, 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 Penn has been a longtime partner with one of the electronic medical record vendors, and the information that was stored in that electronic medical record was, in a sense, uh, revealed by uh, this uh, connection, which organizes the information in a way that that makes it digestible for for most of us. Okay. And and in terms of the structure, I mean, this is something that Penn entered into. uh, Was there a, a business transaction? Money back and forth, business model that stayed out. Michael, Mike, you, 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 you want to talk about? Yeah, it? it's it's not a deal. It's it's a collaboration. And uh, you know why Apple? Uh, Apple because uh, we manage over eight thousand iPhones and iPads throughout our, our organization. Now we're a large institution, heavily used, and we leverage that technology for a variety of different collaborations. Uh, could be bedside terminal support. Uh, for patients in order to get access to to data or entertainment or whatever it might be. Uh, It might be secure texting using the the iPhone devices to secure text uh, patient information amongst our providers. And uh, this particular opportunity was brought to our attention by the folks at Apple, and they indicated they had a vision of being able to aggregate patient data from multiple sources and health systems on multiple EHRs. And in our world, that's kind of like the holy grail. That's what a lot of us have been searching for. The first step was just within your own health system, be able to bring all the data forth to a provider so that if you see a primary care doctor, he's familiar with what perhaps the cardiologist or the GI docs uh, had documented or prescribed within your own health system. But now bringing that to forth from outside the health system, many have tried, as Bill has mentioned, but no one has really succeeded. And so we're in the early stages. This particular launch uh, formally went public about 30 days ago. As you mentioned, there's over 40 health systems, but that represents several hundred hospitals already throughout the country that have really uh, engaged in this effort. And you know, there's a term that we've heard, not that we necessarily use it, but it's a soft launch. They really haven't gone out and marketed it. You don't see the ads. You don't see a lot of those press releases other than the first day or two. Um, And then also at Penn, we have also taken a sort of let's try it and let's see if it's going to live up to its potential. And we think it has great potential. Uh, And then at some point, we'll be more visible with with the use. Well, what happens to to the situation where the patient doesn't have an iPhone? Okay. Um, I buy some other product. I buy a Samsung or Google or something. Yeah, I think right now uh, that's one of the challenges is it behaves and operates on uh, Apple devices. It could be an iPad, it could be an iPhone, another type of device. But uh, at this point, not compatible with non-Apple. Okay. Well, and, Go ahead. Did, well, Anish? Yeah, I, I, I was hoping to maybe give you a little bit of context for this because Good. Uh, the, the answer is yes, but also, uh, no, and I'll, <laughs> maybe I wanted to give you some context for it. Uh, if you step back, the underlying reasons that Apple was able to do what they did was that we had a rulemaking process in Washington 
that was uh, tied to the $38 billion of Recovery Act funds that went to doctors and hospitals around the country to take the manila folders and to put them into structured electronic health records. The 2015 rule, uh, which is going live this calendar year, meaning people had to prepare for it back in 2015, but it's happening now, uh, required that all uh, doctors and hospitals uh, that wanted to comply with the uh, Meaningful Use Incentive Program in its current form have to be able to connect any consumer-designated application to the electronic health record. And the concept of this is what you're seeing come to life in the Apple announcement, but critical is that Apple chose not to make the Apple way the only way. Rather, Apple chose to embrace an industry standard, which means that what Penn was able to do in enabling Apple at no marginal cost could also turn on Schmapple or (laughs) Walgreens or Walmart or Samsung or anybody because the connection looks more like a USB drive where you can stick something in, it'll work. In the same way, you stick an app into the pen uh, uh, patient portal, and it can log in equivalent to the way a patient does today, and it'll work. So that's the real story of Apple, is not so much Apple's success in scale in engaging the consumer, but that it was relying on an industry standard, which means that the second, third, fourth app in the row doesn't have to do a custom project, a custom deal, beg Michael to take the phone call to see if it's possible to do something. Now the infrastructure is deployed across these systems, and by the way, many, many, many more. The rule is they have to have them all live by 1-1-19. So you're gonna see a whole tidal wave of providers turn on the EHR functionality to connect to these third-party apps. Apple may get the most visibility, but they're not, it's not obvious that they're going to be the uh, most popular or useful app to patients. That's still a to-be-determined. Got it. So, so just so I can simplify it, cause, and, and then make it more complicated, th- what you're talking about is interoperability, correct? I mean, that's the, the buzz language that healthcare people would yes. and, and standards, standards-based, plug-and-play internet method of connecting. That's exactly right. Yeah, and so for, for, for all of us, we now have some sort of standardized platform where the EHRs that couldn't talk to each other before all have to be able to talk to each other. So that's the common standard. We now have a standard, and now the app developers, we're relying on all of them to kind of take advantage of it. Is that how you see it? Yeah, well, there's a little bit of a wrinkle. Okay. The, the wrinkle is, under the law, each of the uh, health systems, uh, it, it, you go to Philly, you got Penn, you got Jefferson, you got a whole bunch of others. Uh, they are legally required to provide that information to the consumer. It's called the HIPAA right of access. Yep. If I invoke my rights and Penn says no, they can be fined by the government. And in the Obama administration, we set a price of like $20,000 a day for each day you withhold my data when I request it. That's not the case when health system A wants to talk to health system B. It may be the same technical plumbing, but they're not legally required or compelled to share. They're allowed to share. And so this distinction of may share versus must share is really what is moving this consumer topic front and center when it comes to interoperability. Because if the consumer says, uh, I want to make this information available to Dr. X, 
really you can't say no, and that should be, in my opinion, uh, kind of the bedrock for how some of this is going to flow going forward. Yeah, so so if, uh, putting the lawyer hat on, I mean, it's going to be kind of interesting to see how they just determine standard of practice in the community. Um, if you can't get access to the care, you can't get access to the data, and somebody makes has a misadventure as a result of that, who, who ends up being liable and what are the requirements, there'll be some litigation around it, trust me. This, this field has always figured out a way to solve problems by fighting with each other rather than settling them peacefully. So we'll have, we'll have, some, we'll have some litigation around it, we'll come up with some new standards, and people will be motivated more quickly to move. But I, I want to be able to kind of move this in a direction. We now have this whole new platform I and mean, it's going to look to be standardized what do you see why did Penn do this what was the motive what was the long-term vision here uh, Bill you want to you want to start with that well I think there are a number of uh, uh, elements to that one uh, as I said it's it's good to be working with um, with uh, collaborators that have the long view and have the the uh, wherewithal to work at scale, at a national, international scale, as Apple does. But I'm just going to take you back to uh, my days as an internist and something that we all see, which is the patient comes into an office, my office, uh, uh, with uh, their medical information. And what that may be is a folded up little piece of paper that they pull out of their wallet that has a written down list of their medications and their allergies they hand that to the doctor, and that's uh, still uh, oftentimes the state of the art of medical and your information point? exchange. What's your point here? I, I do that all the time. And the federal government has invested, as as we just heard from Anisha, uh, uh, billions of dollars in in uh, transforming our electronic or our medical record system to an electronic one. And uh, uh, we've done that, but the interoperability. Uh, element that you mentioned is is critical at this point so that people can move their information around, get access to their information from afar. It's, we're going through the same sort of transformation that uh, uh, automatic teller machines did back in the day. I mean, there was a period I remember distinctly where you could go to an ATM and get money out of uh, uh, one that was local to where you live, but not across the country because the interoperability wasn't there between banking systems. And I think what we're trying to do with with um, uh, patient care information that's critical to taking care of our our uh, our our patients is to make it uh, make that information mobile and uh, and uh, en- enable that uh, movement of the information through interoperability. Michael, you wanted to join in here. Yeah, I think uh, why Apple and and why do this type of a project now? I, I think as Anish had meant to, mentioned. We finally have a standard in place, and it's only recently that that standard for interoperability is in place. So now we have a highway that's paved and we can begin to drive data through. I think from a Penn Medicine perspective, we've recently completed the rollout of our electronic medical record to serve as a platform, and that platform now services in one instance the inpatient, the ambulatory, and the home care settings. So we now have data in an electronified manner that we can actually share. Um, and all from one system. So I think we were well positioned, given the standards, given where we were with the rollout of our electronic medical record and our adoption of that functionality, to then look to what is the next step in driving value out of that data. Yeah, see, that, that's really the next step, because what, 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 what Bill was saying when he was making fun of me in my little <laughs> note, okay, and I repeat, my mother has it too, and she's listening, so be careful. Uh, the fundamentals are, 
I still keep asking the question because I, I was involved in a discussion around Google's rollout of a personal health record that didn't go anywhere. Okay, and I would always ask the same fundamental question. What does the consumer really want, or is this something that the providers want, or is this something that government wants? Where does the consumer really get value here, and how do they know it? Do, uh, uh, Anish, do you want to jump in here? Well, thank you. I, uh, I, I am of the view, and this is opinion, not fact, that this uh, era looks a lot like our shift from pension plans to 401ks. Hmm. And in the era of the pension plan, we relied on the uh, enterprise institutional investors to kind of dig the, the judgments necessary to, to make our, our retirements uh, more secure. And in the era of 401ks, the theory was democratize those choices to the individual. Now, probably at the time, there was a healthy debate. Are we sophisticated enough to know what to do? Are we aware of the risks? And so forth and so on. But what came up were these uh, fidelity and uh, Vanguard-like uh, companies that built a, I don't want to use the word fiduciary because it's got a regulatory context right now, but for this audience, I think it may be more useful, which is you objectively hand me your data. I will interpret that information for you and make judgments on your behalf to make sure that you have a secure retirement. My sense is we're at the very early days of a similar move and a health information fiduciary might take on a slightly different responsibility, and that is making sure that you're navigating the care delivery system to the fullest. I spend a lot of my time with Medicare patients. In the Obama administration, we added a bunch of preventive services to the Medicare fee schedule. If you are uh, a senior, you get a free annual wellness visit. Where we're five, seven years into the program, and less than a third of Medicare beneficiaries take advantage of it. Right. So a service that reminds you that you're available and you can take advantage of it, it'd be useful to a consumer. And I would imagine if we go down the list, there are several dozen uh, very obvious things that we could do to whisper in the consumer's ear uh, and help them better navigate the delivery system. There was a project, I'll just leave you with this notion, an MIT research team had submitted a proposal to DARPA back in the 90s. DARPA, DARPA is what? DARPA is what? The, that is the research and development arm of the military. It's the research arm that brought forth the technology that underpins the internet, self-driving cars, Siri on Apple. It's the unbelievable talent that we have to solve not just our military challenges, but to broadly solve societal challenges. Uh, the proposal wasn't funded, but the idea was a guardian angel. It was literally a digital guardian angel where uh, every consumer would have a digital service that would connect to all of their data, interpret it, and then whisper in their ear all the steps on their healthcare journey, especially for the chronically ill, and that that may help us uh, drive better value in the system. So that dream, that vision, that health information fiduciary is my opinion where I think this is heading. Got it. And so that it'll be the, the healthcare data manager, the healthcare information manager, right? I mean, that's we're going to have That's to have, right. have somebody do that. Now, the, the real issue, though, is that you, that you bring up is we offer free wellness visits, okay, and people don't take advantage of them or free physicals. I, I, I've always wondered here, because when we were talking about health information and the High Tech Act and all the things that dealt with meaningful use and getting the stuff put in place, the consumer, 
I think here it has to realize that there's a future here. So the data is going to be useful for patient care. We we know having better data will we we believe that. I think we can demonstrate that. I don't think we have to test it. But what about research? Where will this data be in terms of will it be valuable for research? Will we be able to learn stuff from that data we might not otherwise learn from? Mike, you want to yeah jump I, in here? I think that is one of the uh, future opportunities for this type of a, a solution, and that is all of this aggregated data with cons patient consent can be shared with third-party application developers, of which I suspect there are thousands, if not more, uh, associated with the Apple platform. And it's the power of that universe of developers that will develop the apps that will help support patient care, research, do more on specific chronic diseases, much like you know, you see with financial services apps that are out there at this point, much like you see with fitness apps at this point. No, no one really knew what fitness was until you started to get MyFitnessPal or whatever they are called, uh, developed by third-party developers. And so I think we are in the beginning stages and we'll see the evolution of this functionality to support research and advance research and accelerate research. Uh, as the third-party developers get involved. Got it. So that's one piece. One piece is third-party developers. We could have all sorts of new apps. Where does the other data fit in? So we have patient data, okay? Where does the financial data fit in? Because I, I, when I was look, reading this, Anish, and I was reading your article, I was waiting for you to do something like uh, the future, because the, the article, for those of you who haven't read it, uh, was, was, I believe, was a commentary or a posting on a Harvard Business Review article. And it basically focused on a number of different uh, ways that this data could be transformative. And that's what kind of got my, my interest. Let's talk a little bit about mobile devices and mobile health. I'm assuming you're not only going to have app developers, but much like people uh, LinkedIn at some level with Fitbit and, and some of the other current devices. Is that where this could go as well? Bill, you want to jump yeah, in? Yeah, well, let me just uh, step back because you asked about the financial data. I mean, I think with uh, one of the things that we're beginning to see is um, uh, relationships between data providers. This is a description of the patient uh, in their electronic medical record, what we call a phenotype. What do they look like? Um, with uh, information that might go to their genotype, which is what are their genes saying, and uh, how much does this healthcare costs? So you have researchers who have genotypic information who want to know what that patient looks like. You have uh, financial uh, uh, parties like uh, insurers who want to know how much does the care cost to take care of the patient that looks like this, that has a genotype like this. So there's there's this opportunity to now take these uh, increasingly large, increasingly descriptive databases of different aspects of, of the healthcare paradigm, genes, what do they look like, how much does it cost to uh, do what I think the government's uh, goal is, and, and certainly ours, is to improve uh, the care of our patients and, and do it at lower cost. Yeah. It, 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 look, I, I think, again, we look databases, whether we can make them all work together is the challenge, but we've been successful over time. It's, it, we haven't failed. We've been successful over time. And with personalized medicine, part of what I was really looking at is once you start to be able to target and understand certain things about the delivery, I'm assuming putting a price tag to all this stuff is going to be pretty easy if you have that data available, right? 
if the, if you have the data available and it's and it's shared, I yeah, mean, yes. this, this goes okay. to the the issue of of transparency of information. You know, I, I, the analogy I use is that the car buying. Uh, process 10, 20 years ago that was very asymmetric. The the car seller knew a lot of information about how much of a profit margin they might have and what they were selling. The buyer, not so much. What we're doing with sharing healthcare information with uh, consumers uh, is that we're eliminating some of the asymmetry of information that the patient and the provider have, which I think is going to be really important because at the end of the day, patients should be a full partner in their own healthcare. Right. And, and they you can't – go ahead, Anish. Well, I was just going to share a little history. I think the next step is actually going to be the financial uh, payment data, and he, here's why. Uh, back in 2006, 7, and 8, before I came to the White House, I was Virginia's Secretary of Technology. Our governor, now Senator Tim Kaine, signed an executive order on value-based care that really said the following, for our own state employees – we're going to do what we can to drive value and improved access to information. Long story short, we tried to decouple our uh, benefits contracts so that we'd have the typical insurance companies be the, trans, you know, the, the transaction processor, the payment processor, if you will, and have a separate company do the data, patient engagement and all the rest. Well, when we got to the brass tacks, the insurance company prohibited us from exposing the financial data to the third-party application developer that we were separately going to contract with, thinking that that was intellectual property. So we literally were information blocking to our own employees access to the information about what it would cost them to do X, Y, or Z things. Now, fast forward, CMS, the Medicare and Medicaid uh, agency, announced at uh, HIMSS, the Healthcare IT Conference, they were going to expose their financial data in the exact same open API, open format that the electronic health records companies are using to make Apple Health work. Now CMS on the payment and financial side is live with the ability. So every senior citizen who walks into Penn uh, or Jefferson or anyone in, in the Philly market, they can now bring, if you inverted it, Penn could ask them to bring their CMS claims data at the click of a button. It's almost like an inverse. And further, uh, CMS announced uh, about a month ago that they would regulate every Medicare Advantage plan or threaten to if they don't provide the same open information, that pricing information and others, to consumers and their respective apps by the year 2020. So you've got the EHR companies, the medical records companies moving in this direction, and now a great deal of tailwind to move the financial data out of the insurance companies. I can't wait to see what we can do if we could actually connect those two streams so consumers can say, you know, that MRI is important, but I found out that I could, under my benefit plan, it's a lot cheaper to go over here than here, and so we could work that out to make it cheaper for the country and hopefully get more value. I just want to go back to a question I started with in terms of how the data sharing and the collaboration between Apple and the health systems that are involved in this project, uh, how, they, how they're going to come together and how this might improve research. And Michael, you wanted to weigh in there for a second. Yeah, I'd, I'd make one other comment regarding the uh, potential for research. And it, if you go back to what the functionality of the health record on the iPhone is, it's pulling from electronic medical record data from health systems. And as Bill keenly pointed out, you know, there's genomic data and there's phenotype data. 
The electronic medical records predominantly have phenotypical data in it, your patient care data. There's very, very little genomic results that exist in electronic medical records today. So my point was going to be that this is the collaboration, this is the community that needs to come together. You have a vendor, in this case, it, it can be Apple. But then you need the electronic medical record vendor to weigh in and be part of the solution. In our case, that's Epic Corporation. And then you need folks like us in health systems that can provide the data into that electronic medical record system. So it's that community that forms together to really provide the innovative solution at this point. And when we talk about genomic data, that is the, 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 the cornerstone of what personalized medicine is all about. So there's some logic to being able to see how this whole data effort, if we put all the pieces together, let's just leave out financial for a moment, right. but all the clinical data or the, 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 the data that comes from our own individual situations all come together to be able to more target uh, the care of the patient, delivery of, of various types of treatments that are more targeted to the, the genotype as opposed to the phenotype? Is that what we're trying to do here? Well, there's, uh, yes. Because that's pretty exciting. I, I, I think yeah. that's pretty exciting. We can start to personalize medicine for everybody's different ge genetic makeup. You're going to have some fabulous results on that basis. Right. There's your own personal genome, and then there's the information of what transformation happened within, say, a cancer. So we're all watching television and seeing more in the way of, quote-unquote, targeted uh, medical treatments that um, that attack specific cancer types, and that's all based on information that's genotypic or that has to do with the expression of the cancer in the in the cells of the cancer. But this is all; uh, th these possibilities are all uh, only possible in a world where you have digitized healthcare information. Got it. Okay. When, before the break, also we were starting to talk a little bit about the intersection between these particular data, these data collaboration and mobile health. Uh, and I know there's, there's, there's got, obviously got to be some, something to do with, and once you're dealing with, with the data itself, I was talking about using a Fitbit uh, and whether or not that data would be included in this, in this type of activity. But I think we were talking about a much broader set of issues. And Bill, you want to just comment on where this fits and where telemedicine and mobile health all fit in this data collection? Yeah, let me just sort of zoom back uh, from what we're talking about now, which is using the Apple platform exclusively as a way to connect to your healthcare information through our electronic medical record vendor, which is Epic, as we mentioned. Uh, that's a very powerful tool, but there are also apps that we can develop using the Apple or the Google Android platform that, that are targeted for the care of very specific populations. In fact, we've done some work uh, with our bariatric population, uh, which is uh, patients with obesity who are contemplating surgery. Um, you can imagine uh, there are companies that are built around apps for diabetes care, for hypertensive care, for a whole range of things, and people now think in terms of prescribing a medication and prescribing an app for a given treatment. And that might take advantage of data from Fitbit or other uh, wellness measuring, initially wellness-oriented uh, devices that are now being targeted for or being repurposed for healthcare. Yeah, I mean, I, I think people in our space always saw what the what that exposure was going to do to to Fitbit and to Garmin and to any of the other activity monitors and just how they might be connected. But with the data being available now and the sharing, the, the, the collaboration being an, an opportunity, 
really could be getting data from all sorts of places. Yeah, and let right? me just, I want to amplify on one other thing, and I know Mike has, has uh, some, some comments here as well because he's been working in this same uh, area. The, the, the mobile phone is also, by extension, a way to connect geographically separated people. So we have a dermatology app that we're using that allows our uh, um, tropical dermatology experts, like top-of-the-notch specialists at Penn, to work with uh, healthcare workers in the field in South America and in Africa using a mobile phone as the communication device so that the healthcare worker takes a picture of a disease makes a brief description, refers that case to somebody sitting here on the Penn campus who's then able to weigh in on that and, uh, and, and prescribe treatment that can be transformative in a way that never would have happened because of the, uh, the power of both uh, mobile health platform and telemedicine. Yeah, and, and you should just know, not, not promoting anything here at all, but that group was here on our show. It was a fa fascinating conversation about teledermatology. It was really, really wonderful. But yes, these are the kinds of issues I think that we're starting to deal with. But let's let's go back for a minute because I really do want to talk about the one issue that's on everybody's mind. We now have this great collaboration. We've got data flying all over the place. How do we protect it? How do we deal with this privacy issue? I mean, this, think think about what's happened. Okay, you had major insurers been hacked, hospital systems hacked. Um, we can literally go through almost every major industry has been hacked. Uh, how do you build confidence in the consumer population? And what's happened here? Or what is Apple offering or any other providers offering that would give people confidence that their private information will be kept private and not be subject to ransomware or some other uh, you know, activity that just... Uh, creates some concern about whether or not this is something they really want to do. So, Mitch, I, I would say that it is a daily battle to protect data uh, because the bad guys are uh, bad and getting badder, and the good guys like us are trying to protect our fronts, trying to protect our data, and are challenged each and every day. Uh, we are up against uh, state-run organizations who are looking for ways to either extract data uh, or now in many cases, as you mentioned, with ransomware, uh, trying to disrupt our operations. And one could argue that that could be even more financially disabling uh, than if to, to lose patient data. So to shut down your operations in some way, shape, or form, and we've seen that happen to uh, not only organizations in healthcare, but outside of healthcare. And that is a, a huge challenge. So how do we give confidence? Uh, I think the, the way you give confidence in that instance is you continually communicate what you're doing to protect your, your assets. And there are a variety of technologies we implement. There is a variety of education that we put in place uh, with our end user community to ensure that they protect data, that they don't uh, give out data inappropriately. Uh, give out their credentials in particular to mm -hmm. access mm -hmm. systems sure. uh, and allow the bad guys to get into our systems inappropriately. Uh, and you see that on your private emails. Mm -hmm. You receive those. You see them on your business emails. And it's all those things we, we do consistently and invest significantly in protecting that data. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anish, you want to join in? Yeah, well, I, I, I want to say a couple things to sort of sh shine light here. Uh, the current world is definitely vulnerable to security attacks. And in many ways, the upgrade to what Apple has done is actually 
put us onto a better uh, technical footing. Let me explain. In uh, about maybe three, four years ago, uh, among the digital services that we made publicly available in, in the government was the ability for anybody who files an IRS, uh, you know, your tax, uh, uh, you know, cert forms, to download three years of their claims history uh, called, was called the Get Transcript Service. And it was wildly popular. Uh, 23 million people logged on and downloaded three years of their tax transcript in a machine-readable format uh, for all kinds of reasons. The challenge was that that was done in the traditional sense, a human being logs into a portal with credentials and then once in, downloads. Well, a couple hundred thousand people had their usernames and passwords compromised. So to the IRS, it looked like a consumer was just logging in like they would anywhere else, nothing untoward, not a hack, just someone had stolen credentials and used them. And that caused a big kerfuffle, as you might imagine. What Apple Health is doing, and frankly the technology that underpins this, now there's actually a, a, a dedicated pipe. So it's an application that you authorize to get the data on your behalf. So instead of just using your username and password, now they're going to say, hey, this application is coming from a server farm in China. And so the Penn security team could more easily manage whether or not that app uh, should be allowed a trusted connection or to maybe uh, run some, some security protocols and, and, and say, hey, even though you use the username and password, we have reason to believe this is compromised. And so that technology upgrade is actually, I call this opening up while locking down. We're actually going to see that this, this idea of an API or a, a kind of a, a, direct, a dedicated pipe connecting two apps where the consumer uh, uh, is the one in charge of authorizing, that actually may be more secure than today's kind of wild west of, of stealing credentials and screen scraping. And right now, I would imagine the average health system, I don't know about Michael, but you don't really know who's logging into the portal. It's not the kind of thing that's tracked in today's uh, sort of security systems to know whether or not the person logging in is, is doing so from a, a shady location in a, in a foreign land or, or from where the patient's actually expected to be coming from. So that's the point, first point, which is we're actually getting an upgrade on security if we do it this way. The second point, and this perhaps is the Facebook Cambridge Analytica discussion, the one challenge is that there are no HIPAA protections for data that's stored in Apple Health. When you asked in the beginning of the call, did Penn uh, sign a contract to have a business arrangement, and the answer was no, it was a collaboration, that, that, the, the excitement of that statement is both exciting and challenging. There's no legal agreement on data protection between the app that the consumer selects and the uh, health systems with whom they want to connect the data. You're moving from a protected system to an unprotected system. So I think there's a need, and I'm working on a coalition of folks, including uh, Dr. Blumenthal, who was the co-author of that paper right. with me, <laughs> on whether we have a code of conduct, some type of enforceable code for app developers to stand up and say, I pledge to do the following things, protect your privacy, secure your data, and give you advice that's in your best interest, akin to a digital Hippocratic Oath. We need some kind of industry-led standards effort, or this could take us off the rails uh, if bad actors uh, jump into the fore faster than good actors. Okay. 
For those just joining in, you're listening to the Business of Healthcare on Sirius XM 111. I'm Mitch Goldman, and I'm joined by Michael Rastuccia and Dr. William Hansen from Penn Medicine and Anish Chopra of Care Journey. Uh, we are talking about cybersecurity and the issues of how do we protect data under a new agreement that uh, Apple Health has with Penn Medicine and uh, a number of other large health systems in the in the country. Uh, Michael or Bill, did you want to comment on Anisha's uh, uh, statements? Well, I think it's important to clarify at least one aspect of what Anish pointed out, which is that this data that is available to the patient is passed through Apple and not stored at Apple. It's in an encrypted f- fashion. What Apple's done here, working in collaboration with the electronic medical record vendor, is to create a channel, but they're not storing that data, which uh, uh, you know would present uh, significant privacy problems were they to be. Okay. And that Michael? data is then stored on their Apple device, whether it's an iPhone. On the patient's or, Apple uh, device, uh, right. right. On yeah. the patient's Apple device. Uh, and then it's up to the patient to secure. And, and if they choose to put a password on their phone or, or iPad, uh, so be it. If they don't, they open themselves up for potential theft of their, their medical data. And that is you know, uh, the problem. And it's also the, the, the blessing and the curse with the, the app at this point in that you're looking to put the consumer, the patient, at the center of their care. You're looking to empower them in order to leverage the data and bring it to the point of care uh, where decisions are made and allow caregivers to make more informed decisions at that point. Uh, that's great, but they also have an accountability. The patient has an accountability and responsibility to protect their own data also. Anisha's point is right on about the third-party developers and a code of conduct, and uh, we would look forward to working with him in any way f- possible to ensure that that comes to fruition. Yeah, see, it's interesting to me, just, just as, a, <clears throat> as a consumer but a knowledgeable one, why? Very knowledgeable. I've used the system more times than I care to use it. I'm becoming an expert on using the system. I think the fundamental question that I always keep asking is, what is it that people are after when they're looking for healthcare data? I get asked this question all the time. And most of the time, I'm told, it's the identifying information. So it's a social security number. It may be some of the other insurance access, access to insurance I've never quite figured this out, but it always seems simple to me. Just separate it. Put, don't put a medical record in there with a social security number. Don't do those things that people... They're not, are they really after whether or not I have, you know, I have some aging disorder or something? Does anybody really care about that? What is it that they're looking for when they try to break in or, or get access? Michael, you want to comment? Yeah, it sort of leads to my comment earlier. There's value in the uh, extraction of uh, clinical data on a patient and the resale of that data, and you can hold it for ransom or, or whatever uh, it yeah, might ransom be. Ransom I get. But uh, the flip side of it is uh, I think the bad guys have more turned to uh, the disruption of operations. Uh, and, and I think they've recognized, to your point, that, yeah, that clinical data might have some value if I can identify who you are or maybe uh, identify where you uh, stored the data and what health system. But more importantly now, I think they've identified that there's more value in disrupting operations and then asking the health system versus who has larger, deeper pockets, supposedly, than an individual to pay some level of uh, compensation. Interesting. Yeah, but Mitch, I, I would say that your your that question is, I think, a, a timely one. The 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 healthcare a healthcare record is an order of magnitude more valuable on the black market than a credit card record. 
So if you lose your credit card, you get a new credit card, the old credit card is void. If you have somebody's health care information, that's a very rich set of personal identifiers, including, unfortunately, the Social Security number. And we've talked in our organization, many organizations have talked about using some other form of identifier, you know, a national uh, healthcare ID number that wouldn't connect to your social security number. So, uh, th- th- it's a it's an appropriate question that's been asked before. But healthcare uh, data is valuable. Okay. Well, we're going to be running out of time soon. But I have one question that I've been holding back, and since I really have no impulse control, I ha- I have to ask it. Okay. Where's the dental data? Well. Go ahead, Bill. Yeah, I, that's an I interesting hear question. An, I want to hear Anisha's comment after yours, yeah, but go ahead, Bill. As, a, as a, a user of more dental services than I care to, <laughs> care to acknowledge, and, and as the parent of three kids who used a whole range of different dental services, it seems to me and uh, is that the uh, unlike the, um, uh, the health care system data, which is now aggregated and pooled in large collections, the dental uh, data is is much more in uh, you know individual offices, and there are different proprietary systems. So it's just it's it's a, it, it's a larger number of smaller targets, is my impression. Got it. So ultimately, that'll be integrated as well. Yes, I think. Got it. Anish. Well, uh, this is more of an economics discussion. Uh, <laughs> there isn't a lot of uh, value to a dentist to release your uh, x-ray data because it means that you're probably not going to get duplicative x-rays in the next round or you might leave the practice. So their desire to adopt a standard that allows you to open up that data may not be as, uh, as urgent as perhaps those who are regulated to do so by the federal government. So this is, the, this is that market failure economics challenge about information flows in regulated sectors that this has never really been an engineering problem. Engineers have figured things out like this. This is not that hard. Uh, this is really an economics problem. And so what you're seeing now is sort of a market correction, a mixture of carrots and sticks and norms. And that's sort of an interesting time in healthcare. But it hasn't moved to dental or the other aspects that are uh, less regulated, unfortunately. Yeah. I, I, the only reason I raise it is in the dental world now, there's a big, lots of effort to link dental research and medical research, whether it be you know plaque of the teeth and plaque in the heart or diabetes diagnosis, uh, and I was just you know from the population health perspective, there's going to have to be a, a move on the part of all the app developers to kind of link not just dental data but all other healthcare data into the system in some way that makes it easy to for all of us to, to get a better handle on what yeah, people for, are doing. For, for, any act, for any actor in the system who wishes to share, the technical path that Apple laid with what they've done at Penn is the likeliest, cheapest, most effective, most scalable option. So if you wish to share, if you wish to share this is the path to choose. Okay. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. And uh, I wanted to thank all three of you uh, I want to thank you, Michael, Michael Rasuccia, and Dr. William Hansen, and Anish Chopra as well, who's on, been on the phone with us, who's the president of Care Journey, and also the former United States chief technology officer. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.